on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irokti, a yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientolum againom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today's episode of the Indo Daily contains language some listeners may find offensive. Today on the Indo Daily, from Hollywood bad boy to centre stage at the Oscars, the reinvention of Colin Farrell. Here are the nominees for performance by an actor in a leading role. Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inisherin. It's been a week for Castle Knox Colin Farrell, but the road to the Academy Awards has been far from straightforward. Well, I mean, it's been sex, drugs and rock and roll. 100% and then there's been movies made in between all this. I mean, he has said that he was either high or drunk from the age of 14 for the following 17 years. I came blazing onto the scene with a bit of moxie and a bit of Irish this and a bit of Irish that and don't care about, you know, don't give a shit about it, you know. And this is not to apologise, I was a young man. Farrell was once tabloid fodder for his sex tape, relationship with Britney Spears and his quite frequent visits to rehab, but he seems to have left that all behind him. The birth of my first son, James, was a moment in my life where I got to realise fully that I wasn't just living for myself anymore. I had this this little baby who didn't need a best friend, uh, who needed a dad, so that was a big turning point. I mean, he's been on a journey, to use that terrible X-Factor phrase. You know, he was as low as he can go, and now he's as high as he can go. He's clean, he's sober, he's just been nominated for an Oscar, he's won a Golden Globe. Right, lads, we're off to the Oscars. <laughs> I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by the Irish Independent entertainment correspondent Melanie Finn and Sunday Independent film critic Chris Wasser to look at the reinvention of Colin Farrell. Melanie Finn, Colin Farrell's nomination for Best Actor, it's a massive achievement, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely huge Um, and it kind of comes at the right time in his career as well. I think everyone really related to his Golden Globe speech where he was so generous thanking his co-star, thanking Martin McDonagh. Martin McDonagh, I owe you so much, man. 14 years ago, you put me working with Brendan Gleeson, my dance partner, and you changed the trajectory of my life forever in ways that I begrudgingly will be grateful to you for the rest of my days. Um, Brendan, I just, I love you so much. And, you know, this really is hard won success for him. He has had a total reinvention, though, hasn't he? Because the Colin Farrell of old was the bad boy. There was drugs, there was drink, there was all sorts of problems. He often made the tabloids for all the wrong reasons. And over the years, he has some awards, but it's it's his cabinet isn't as 
extensive as you might expect someone of his the number of films he's been in, I guess. No, I mean, it's been sex, drugs and rock and roll. 100% and then there's been movies made in between all this. I mean, he has said that he was either high or drunk from the age of 14 for the following 17 years. So that's a lot of uh, excess, a lot of partying. And in the world of Hollywood, you can get sucked up very quickly into a very bad cycle. And this is exactly what happened to Colin Farrell. You know, um, he seemed intent on pursuing that idea of fame and fortune, thinking that that would make him happy. But in fact, uh, he spiralled and he spiralled very, very badly. So he made a few movies. He was being fated as the new Tom Cruise, essentially, earning 10 million per movie. But inside, he was absolutely miserable. And he opened up in a famous interview with the Radio Times where he talked about spiralling. And he said, I ended up in a shrink's couch. And he asked me to write down what I did in a week. 20s, four grams of Coke, six of speed, half an ounce of hash, three bottles of JD, 12 bottles of wine, 60 pints, 280 facts. He looked at me and said, no wonder you're depressed. But Sorry, let's go through that list again, Melanie. <laughs> 20 E's, four grams of Coke, six of speed, half an ounce of ash, three <laughs> bottles of Jack Daniels, 12 bottles of wine, 60 pints and 280 fags. Where would you get time to go to the toilet? It's a lot. I'm like, that That would take a lot of time to do that. You know, and even the up like, and the down. <laughs> No wonder he felt terrible in himself. But I would say it got to the stage where he was so sedated that would barely skim the surface for him in terms of his alcohol and drug taking levels. Um, You know, you can say he he kind of won himself a reputation as a hard partying Irishman. He was charming. He was good looking. He was being fated by every Hollywood executive in town. And it was a disaster for him because if you're that rich, that celebrated, that famous, nothing is off limits. And for someone like Colin Farrell, who has addiction issues, that's a very dangerous place to be. Now, I know, Melanie, that you get to meet a lot of these celebs in in your role as entertainment correspondent. You interviewed Colin Farrell. Well, we've both interviewed Colin Farrell, in fact, at various stages. you, Kev. Yeah. You interviewed (laughs) Colin Farrell in Abracababra. Explain surroundings of Abracababra. Yeah, I got a tip off that he was going to be there. He's actually an ambassador. It's three in the morning like after three was, bottles of Dac Daniels. Yeah, he, he, he was sober, thankfully, at this time. But um, so he's an ambassador for Abracababra. Basically, you get free Abracababra for life. How this must have been a long that? time ago, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was about, I think, about 2008, 2009, roughly. Yeah, I have a kebab shop that I go to. Oh, yeah. kebabs, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a place called Abracababra. Do they get excited when you go? You come in there? I have a gold card. I was the first person to get the gold card. They did it for me. Do you Creature, use it? Yeah, I do. You do? You I just... haven't paid for a kebab in five years, man. <laughs> um, so I rocked in. It was the one in Donnybrook. I don't even know if it's still there, to be honest. And Colin Farrell, what can you say about Colin? Like, you instantly fall in love with him. He's charming. He's very handsome in the flesh. But also he has that kind of charisma that draws people in, that makes you feel engaged, that makes you want to know more about him. He's very smart. He's very self-deprecating. He talks like really super fast. So shorthand at the time had to be pretty, pretty on point. And he's just a lovely guy. And he gives great quotes, which is why the media loves him so much. Unfortunately, he doesn't do that many interviews now, not as many as I would like. Um, but he just makes for great TV. He's very disarming because I went to uh, to LA to interview him myself. And 
I have to say, I knew the stories about Britney and all the back, uh, all those kind of things. And I thought I was going over to meet this bad boy and you meet him in a nice hotel and he is completely disarming. And because I knew I was doing this podcast today, I actually dug out the tape and listened back to a bit of it, that awful thing, listening to yourself on tape. But it's astonishing how it clearly went from a... Hello, Mr. Farrell, I'm Kevin Doyle too. And what's the crack with Jimmy Kimmel? And what's going on with this and the other? And and you just find yourself, the two of us in a room, just chatting like two Irish lads. And, and you know, one who was just delighted to be in LA and the other who obviously has millions and millions in the bank. He is, and that he has found that again now. And I think that's probably part of his reinvention. You mentioned his Golden Globe speech, which he got a lot of credit for. And uh, lastly, Jenny the donkey, who is, yeah, yeah, Jenny. And she's having an early retirement because she said, fuck this film business, you're welcome to it. And my kids at home who are watching this, James and Henry, the loves of my life, I love you so much and thanks uh, Hollywood Foreign Press. All the best, Eddie. And he's kind of been praised as almost in this world of toxic masculinity, particularly in Hollywood, that he's kind of charming and respectful of women and his co-stars and people who don't have it all in the way that he does. A hundred percent. You know, I mean... He's kind of lived it all. He's only actually 46. I know it seems like he's been around for a million years um, and he has appeared in over 50 movies to date. I think really it was hooking with directors like Yorgos Yanthimos, who is, of course, behind The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer, where he um, was united with his co-star in Banshee's Barry Keoghan. And they both gave astonishing turns. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats. So he started to be more about the work than about the celebrity. But but take me back to the celebrity stage, because in many ways that's like at one stage, there was a magazine who ran its front page cover asking, have you slept with Colin Farrell yet? Oh, yeah. That was his reputation. Sure, there was those famous photographs of him hanging out with like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan. And, you know, he was boasting about how he, he slept with every young starlet in, in Hollywood. I mean, he went to a really crazy place. Like it's, it's, it's easy to kind of forget now when you look at him and he's stone cold sober. And I think he has to be really commended for that. But he did say that Miami Vice was one of his worst movies ever. It actually made over 100 million. So it wasn't like a flop per se. But it was his ultimate descent. It was like his moment of clarity. He says now that he can't even remember a single frame from the movie. He went to the premiere and he's like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. And the day after the rap party, he checked into rehab in 2006 and he realised I'm going to die if I don't stop. Well, at various stages, he's been described as a man of spectacular excess, a hooligan, a sexual maniac and probably the most striking one, a budding obituary. Ah, speaking of uh, sexual maniac, there was, of course, the famous sex tape as well. Way, way, way before we had like the ability to video on our phones, he made a sex tape with a Playboy model. And this kind of only cemented his reputation as Hollywood's bad boy. Like there was nothing he wouldn't do or be linked with. Tell me about some of the women in his life, not necessarily girlfriends. We, We know he had many of those, but the one that always stood out to me was Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor, he struck up a really unusual relationship with. So it came with a handwritten note from her. And um, I then cheekily, about a week later, I said, listen, is there any chance I could go and see her? I asked Danica and and she made some calls and I I got to have an audience with her. And that was the beginning of the last kind of romantic relationship I had, (laughs) which was never 
consummated. They had a platonic relationship right up until her death in 2013. He was 34, she was 75. And he said, I wanted to be <laughs> I wanted to be homespun number eight, but we ran out of road. And um, they met in hospital. She was recovering from heart surgery. He was visiting his newborn son. And he said, I loved her and I still care for her. Um, other names, alleged flings, Demi Moore, Carmen Electra. You mentioned Britney Spears, of course. Mm -hmm. There was also his uh, famous wedding, of course, um, to a British actress by the name of Amelia Warner that everyone seems to have completely forgotten about. And they got married on a beach in Thailand. And he's always spoken very fondly of it again. Who knows what his state of mind was, whether he was compass mentis when he decided to get down on bended knee (laughs) and propose to this beautiful actress. Um, But he's lived a life. I think that's fair to say about Colin Farrell. And um, I think it makes him all the more interesting. I think it increases his range as an actor. He has two children. Yes. He has a 19-year-old and a 13-year-old. And of course, he's famously talked about his son having Angelman syndrome. And he says he's happy. He obviously has challenges to overcome. He's been getting brilliant therapies to bring him along. He's 19 years old now and he completely adores him. And of course, his other son, James, who was 13, everything he does is for them. And of his eldest son, he said... As a parent, all you want is for your children to be happy and he is the happiest guy in the world. So we couldn't ask for more. I'm going to talk with Chris Wasser in a minute about some of the highs and lows in terms of his movie career. But as someone who follows the industry, where do you think Colin Farrell now sits in terms of Irish actors? You know, we think the Oscars, we we think Saoirse Ronan's had multiple nominations. You go back, you have people like Brenda Fricker. But the fact that he's finally having his moment and he hasn't won yet, but he is having his moment. I think in Ireland, and it is a terrible tragedy, you know, there is the tall poppy syndrome. The higher people go, the more we want to pull them down. It's a weird colonial hangover thing. I don't think anyone can dispute the fact that this Banshees of Inisherin is one of Colin Farrell's greatest portrayals. It just taps into his melancholy, like his little sad face walking along with Jenny the donkey and his pain and his hurt when Gleason rejects him as a friend simply for being boring. I mean, the whole movie was just breathtaking and he, he felt it. You, you felt it in every scene, his authenticity. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. And if I've said something to you, maybe I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it. But I don't think I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it. But if I did, then tell me what it was. And I'll say sorry for that too, Colin. With all my heart, I'll say sorry. Just stop running away from me like some fool of a moody schoolchild. This is his moment and... I really, really, I don't want to jinx it and say that. He won't win. I really want him to win. And I think he deserves to win. And I think all of Hollywood will be rooting for him. Do you think, though, you mentioned that the idea that people want to cut him down, the fact that he has been at such low points. I mean, he's had some horrendous films, let's be honest about it. Uh, He's had some, an awful lot of troubles in his life. So he has been as low as you can probably go when you're a multimillionaire Hollywood star. Do you think that... I get the feeling, at least, that that everyone's on his team. I mean, he's been on a journey, to use that terrible X-factor phrase. You know, he was as low as he can go, and now he's as high as he can go. He's clean, he's sober, he's just been nominated for an Oscar, he's won a Golden Globe, he's been nominated for a BAFTA, he's doing the best work of his life. Of course, everyone loves a story, particularly in Hollywood, and his is compelling. And I do think this is his year. This is his chance. Um, He could retire after this and live perfectly happy ever after. 
Chris Wasser, as Melanie was making the point there, Colin Farrell's career has done a 180. But if you could do some sort of a, a, a graph on the ups and downs of the actual films he he makes, it would be all over the place, wouldn't it? It would be all over the place, Kevin, because he started out on television, obviously in the BBC's Ballet Kiss Angels, and then sort of accidentally fell into the role of movie star. And that's a role that, that he played for an awful long time. And it's one that we were happy to watch him in too, you know, because around the time, I think one of the first roles that that, that people saw him in on the big screen was, was Tigerland, and then shortly after that, Phone Booth. And there was something about his performance in Joel Schumacher's uh, Phone Booth that he would kind of carry on for the next 20 years, which is that even if Colin Farrell's making something that's a little bit trashy and a little bit cheap and just, you know, knows that it's silly, he's going to give a great performance in it. I've had enough of this game. I haven't. You said you'd let us go. I changed my mind. Miserable fuck. You can't do this. You can't do this to me. Look, I took all your shit. I did everything you fucking asked. And we've seen him give great performances in an awful lot of bad films. So shortly after Phone Booth, we had about 10 years or not, not even 10 years, maybe just about five of Colin Farrell in comic book movies. You know, he had Daredevil. He had his own, you know, swords and sandals moment with, with Alexander back when Hollywood was obsessed with, you know, trying to make a film as successful as Gladiator. Uh, he had, you know, uh, the, the action ensemble piece with Swash. Uh, you know, he still made films at home, like, you know, the, you know, the very, the decent, but probably overpraised intermission. He was kind of doing everything. And there's a problem with doing everything. After a while, people get a little bit sick of you. Maybe the actor gets a little bit sick of working all the time. It eventually just came to a halt. And we had that, uh, we had a moment in with, with Colin Farrell where he stopped, you know, saying yes to everything and was a little bit pickier about his choices. 2004, Chris, will forever be remembered as the year of the tragedy that was Alexander. Yeah, Alexander, yeah. The one where all of Hollywood's greats come together and for some reason try out Irish accents. I'm not sure what Oliver Stone was doing with that. Uh, you, you had everyone in this. You had Colin Farrell, you had Val Kilmer, Angelina Jolie playing, you know, Alexander's mother, despite the fact that there's only a couple of years between Angelina Jolie and Colin Farrell. Jonathan Reese myers was in there, Anthony Hopkins. Um... So many, you know, promising ingredients there, but you know, the 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 final dish was just horrible. One of the highlights was was uh, shooting Alexander, and one of the lowlights was how it turned out. <laughs> really, <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Honestly, I would, if I knew how the film was going to be received commercially and critically, like slaughtered in both both arenas, I would still do it. <laughs> and, and there are four, maybe five different versions of this film out there. And, you know, I'm sure Colin Farrell has joked about this before. It doesn't matter which version you watch. They're all crap. You know, there was this obsession with the time of, you know, you, I remember we had Gladiator. That was decent. As I said, you had Troy, you had Alexander. Everyone was trying to make the, the next big Swords and Sandals epic. Why? I don't really know. And it didn't really work out for Colin. And I know I said there that he always brings, you know, uh, vitality and energy to, and enthusiasm to most of his roles. But he does look a little bit embarrassed in this. And he still says to this day that, you know, he's not quite sure what they were doing. And unfortunately, there was a few bad, there was a few more bad roles after that. You had Miami Vice, which didn't really do anything anything for anybody that saw it. You know, as Melanie was saying earlier, it made money, but wasn't a great film. Uh, you had Cassandra's Dream, which was a very forgettable Woody Allen film. Maybe the moment that started to turn things around and certainly that that actually finally put a trophy on a shelf was in Bruges. With Martin McDonough, of course, who is behind the Banshees of Inishiran. Where do you think, like, I, I have seen Banshees and I have to say, I came away scratching my head. The scenery is brilliant. The That's acting right. is brilliant. 
I did at the end kind of wonder what was the point and why did they have to cut off the fingers without giving them? <laughs> I don't think that gives the plot away too much. But what's your own take, Chris? You you you're more qualified than me. No, I love I loved it. Uh, for me, the 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 fingers. I don't think we're giving anything away there. The cutting off of the fingers. Yeah, it's a gory, heavy but gory metaphor. And I I love this film. I thought it works well as an essay on sort of you know sour brotherhood. I thought it worked. I thought the civil war backdrop. Uh, you know, you can make what you will of that, but I thought it was cleverly done. Uh, this idea that you know uh, there the, the, there used to be this you know cor- there used to be corners of Ireland where you had an awful lot of men wandering around and completely incapable of communicating their feelings. And this is. A very extreme example, um, uh, but it do, but it does it very well. And I also quite liked that it's a breakup story in a way, and that you know this idea. I mean, Barry Kogan's character at one stage says to Colin Farrell's Podrick, you know, what's Brendan Gleeson? Is he twelve? Why is he? Why does he not want to talk to you anymore? This idea that you you have to stay friends with someone for life. Why? You know, there's an awful lot going on in there, and I thought the the story was great. The performances were were, were fantastic. It looks amazing. It's certainly the best that Colin Farrell has ever been and he's been leading up to this over the past couple of years you know he still every now and then takes on you know a, a blockbuster maybe it's to pay the bills you know we saw him in Dumbo we saw him you know in the in the in the Wizarding World in the Harry Potter universe you know he still does those big films every now and then but and, and also he was in the Batman uh, last year but that worked out very well for him but there have been several smaller roles over the last couple of years where you're thinking okay he's transforming himself here he's going from he's done the movie star thing you know He's done the supporting player thing. This is Colin Farrell, the character actor era. You know, we see him in smaller independent offerings, whether it's at Yorgos Lanthimos, that was the lobster, that was the killing of the sacred deer, whether it's doing stuff like last year's After Yang, which you haven't seen it, watch it. It's it's just a lovely, lovely sci-fi film. And also, you know, stuff like 13 Lies with with Ron Howard, where he's part of an ensemble. It's not the Colin Farrell show. You know, there there are more people involved. So the work is getting better. We will still see him in, block, in you know, flimsy throwaway blockbusters, but it's nice that the roles are getting more interesting. He's become a more interesting actor and he's also become a better actor. And that's why now he's been nominated for an Oscar. And finally, Chris, then the same question I asked Mel, which is, where does he now sit in the pantheons of Irish? He's done the bad boy thing. You say this is his his character phase. Like, does he sustain this now? Does he stay on this track? And where does he sit in the overall Irish landscape? Is he our greatest actor ever or certainly threatening for that title? He's certainly in the top five, maybe top 10. Um, yeah, he is. He is one of our greatest actors, I think. And I hope that, you know, he will continue to work with the best directors and that he'll put, you know, the filmmakers first, the, the stories first. But yeah, I think he is. I put him up there with, you know, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, we were talking about Brendan, you were talking about Brendan Fricker earlier. Uh, you know, I put him up there with Daniel Day. I put him up there with the greats. Like, he is onto something special. I mean, I could be talking to you now in 10 years and we could say that the Banshees was just the start of it, that, you know, his greatest roles came after. Hopefully that's the case, but he is something special. Chris Wasser, thank you very much. My thanks to Melanie Finn and Chris Wasser for joining me today. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with recording by Gavin Hennessy and sound design by Graeme Davison. Archive clips from The Late Late Show on RTE, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, Associated Press, Lorraine on ITV, The Golden Globes, The Academy Awards, Independent.ie, The Banshees of Inish Erin, directed by Martin McDonough, the Lobster, directed by Yorgos Lamentos, Phone Boot, directed by Joel Schumacher, and Winter's Tale, directed by Avika Goldsman. If you want to hear more of our award-winning journalism, you can visit independent.ie or wherever you get your podcasts.